Betfred has come all the way from England to the great state of Iowa with over 50 years of sports betting experience. Fred is known in the UK for three things, customer service, bonuses, and delivering the best overall experience to players. Need more? Download the Betfred Sports app today and receive up to $250 in free bets when signing up. No emperors, no movie stars, just a sports book you can trust. Download today. Proud partner of the Iowa Wild and Iowa Cubs. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Guys, 2022's been a roller coaster year. So spoil her this Christmas by giving her the next best thing to wearing nothing at all. With soft, silky, naturally nude pajamas. Exclusively from Pajamagram. Sensuous and smooth, naturally nude pajamas feel just like her own bare skin. Even more alluring than lingerie. The texture and touch of these pajamas is so seductive that you'll both love the feel of them. She'll love the feeling of wearing next to nothing at all. And you'll love the way they look. Best of all, Pajamagram does the wrapping for you with free gift packaging. Order today and Pajamagram will also include a free matching naturally nude nightie with the purchase of naturally nude pajamas. That is free gift packaging and a free naturally nude nightie when you order today. Just go to Pajamagram.com. It's fast, easy, and delivery by Christmas is guaranteed. That's Pajamagram.com. Welcome to Belly Up Fantasy Live. Now for your hosts, Chris, Dan, Tom, Houston, and Zach. Belly Up Fantasy Crew. We got Houston, Nate, Dan, Billy, and Tom. Gentlemen, how are y'all doing tonight? Doing good. That's me, apparently, though. I'm the only one. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, apparently I'm not as good as Dan. I didn't have to do five days without power, so I can't complain that much. I have power. I have a trophy behind me. I mean, I mean, life's perfect. <laughs> I know that's a pretty sweet looking trophy. I know. Well, I wanted to give a shout out. Doing it with the wrong hand, of course. I want to give a shout out to our trophy smack guys over there. Uh, we just got this trophy this this uh, week. It just finally came in the name tag for it, and uh, yeah, displaying it proudly. I wish pretty soon I got to build a shelf so that way you can get all the way up into the shot because that's you're only looking at like half the trophy right now. <laughs> <laughs> Billy, how you doing, sir? Everything doing all okay over there? Yeah, I just uh, had my rider bowl pick him up, and I hit the wrong piece of the back, so I'm kind of frustrated at the moment, but uh, see how it goes. <laughs> I you end up snagging right there. Yeah, I, uh, well, I had um, Darrell Williams in my queue, but I was at the top of the player, saw William, D. Williams hit it and realized very quickly that uh, I had hit the wrong Williams, so that's fun. <laughs> I think Andy Reid has that issue as well, so he just kind of just puts his hand in the hat and just goes, okay, you're up. You go. <laughs> Tom, how you doing, man? I like that background you got right there. I know uh, Marco's probably looking at that, throwing his couch over. Uh, <laughs> Marco is probably losing his mind right now. But, I mean, hey, we'll get to it in a little bit. It's I really am not trying to be biased with it, I promise. Oh, okay. There is rationale behind it. Oh, for the all day. At least lines two and three. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, thank everyone. Who, or I, I want to thank everyone who's watching us right now on our live stream on Twitter, Facebook, uh, everywhere else that we're available on. Um, if you're like what we're doing here, hi Scott, hi Marco, how y'all doing tonight? Um, make sure you're checking up the checking out the rest of what Belly Up uh, Sports is putting out. We've got a really good lineup. Uh, our own Zach Mack, return the puck puck pass, and they're doing great things over there. We've got. 
Ryan McCarthy for around for the weekend. Um, our own Dan Major's got a hit show over there, MD's Fantasy Nation. Uh, go check it out. He will give you the inside on what's what and how to win your league. Uh, Houston's going to be coming out with some new stuff. Uh, Nate and Billy have some new stuff coming out, and Tom's running our fantasy football or our uh, football account and just came out with his top 100 with uh, everyone else from Belly Up. So really good job, guys. Thanks for working so hard. Um, let's kind of move forward, though. We've got a lot to talk about tonight. 16 different guys. Or I guess they have to be different, right, Dan? But 16 people who could potentially be breakout stars uh, coming up. I want to talk about this first guy. Two just seems to kind of work with him. I'm talking about two universities, two sports. This is his second year in the NFL. Under Cliff Kingsbury, two Ks in the guy's name. Two just seem to follow this guy in killer Kyler Murray, uh, who finished quarterback seven last year. Uh Proud OU alum and Aggie alum as well. We'll give it to him here in College Station. So let's go, Kyler. Uh, the dude has a 4-3 speed. We kind of saw his action last year dip a little bit in terms of um, fantasy production, I suppose. He did really well at the beginning and kind of tapered off towards the end. Um, maybe y'all can enlighten me on why that happened. I know they added uh, to the offensive line. Uh, in the draft, they kind of stocked up on that defense, and they obviously added arguably one of the best wide receivers in the game to help Kyler's red zone uh, potential, I suppose, uh, or just score more because anything better than last year is going to help him in the red zone because he was pretty much nil in there. Um, Billy, tell me about Killer Kyler and what are your expectations? Could he be a breakout candidate this year? I think Kyler's a big breakout candidate. I mean, QB7 last year as a rookie – without any real legit target or a real legit running game. David Johnson missed a lot of time. Uh, Chase Edmonds had some, had some uh, performances that were good, quickly got hurt, traded for Kenny Drake, and then he, you know, he went off the rest of the year. So that kind of is a, a testament to what Kyler does to a defense that allows that running game to go because that offensive line is not great. Uh, the rushing stats are good. You know, I expect that to kind of go up uh, as, as things kind of progress with him, but a big thing with Kyler is we need him to start making more than one read. You know, he knows where he's going with the ball before he snaps it a lot of times. It still worked out, only 12 interceptions. However, if he's going to take that uh, step into the next echelon of guys, the 4,500-yard passing, uh, you know, he's going to have to make more reads. But D-Hop should help. That's a guy a young guy can lean on. He doesn't have to be open. Just throw it to him. He'll make the catch. So definitely a safety valve for him. I like Kirk and Fitz kind of down the line with legitimate number one. And, uh, you know, Kenyon Drake, Chase Simmons out of the backfield, Kyler should have plenty of help. I, I think he has a big year this year. One of the more exciting offenses coming into the year that isn't the Chiefs. Yeah, for sure. It's definitely a high-flying offense um, and very exciting. Dan, do you think he progresses this year in year two? I mean, as far as fantasy goes, I have him going from quarterback seven to quarterback six. Uh, just with the rushing factor, you're going to have a high floor naturally with that. I still just have a lot of questions about Cliff Kingsbury – Overall, like, what are you going to do now that you have DeAndre Hopkins? Are you going to go back to running four receiver sets all the time? I think we proved that doesn't really work in the red zone, even with Hopkins in that sense. you got to be more physical. If you go to a tight end sets the way they were doing and run the ball a little bit more, then I think his, cat, his numbers might be capped a little bit as far as his passing production goes. So with Kyler Murray, though, there's going to be a big-time floor. I think a lot of it, do. I have a lot of questions about Cliff Kingsbury and what he's going to do. Yeah, like you mentioned about his floor just with his legs and what you, the baseline that you get with him. I think it's pretty good, but 
I've seen in a couple of our leagues and what we've seen on our ADP, he's going quarterback three or four sometimes. you think that's a little too high? Obviously, you have him at six, so I guess that was a dumb question. So, Nate, <laughs> let me move to you because Dan kind of already answered that by just looking at me. So, <laughs> good on you, Dan. <laughs> I mean, yeah, again, I, like Joey said, Kyler Murray, solid floor um, with just the legs, like you said, Chris. I mean, the guy can just run um, – defenders and and find an open man i see i have kyler murray um in top quarterback this year i think his dual threat ability is unbelievable so i love kyler this season and i think he's a very solid breakout candidate for sure i, I love that of course i'm i'm, I'm biased to killer kyler um, <laughs> sec sec baby uh a guy that is from uh i guess houston's neck of the woods and tom i want you to talk about the stallion himself josh allen um kind of similar to kyler murray in a way where his baseline, like Dan was talking about, with his legs is pretty good. So you know what you're kind of going to get with him. The dual threat quarterback is always awesome. And kind of like Kyler as well, they added a pretty decent wide receiver in Stephon Diggs to that offense. Um, they get Zach Moss, uh, a big, a, a bigger back, I suppose, to help out with uh, Devin Singletary, with, who's just an explosive back. Um, we, we've kind of seen, and I'm, I mentioned it a couple times, I guess, where Josh Allen, to me, just he needs to show me that he can make the decisions. But – with this being a breakout candidate show, do you think he's got his name in the in the ring for this? You know, oddly enough, um, when we were talking about this, I don't know if breakout is the right word for him, considering last year he, he had a very good fantasy year. Um, I mean, at the end of the year, I believe he ended up at QB7. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, guys. Six. I mean, six? Kyler was seven. Ah, fair enough. So but regardless, I mean, that's already a high mark, especially for a second-year quarterback. So uh, I think that he's going to pretty much stay around the same rankings, that five, six, seven range. But what what we're going to see, I think, is a move towards the passing game for this team. He's not going to rely on his legs quite as much. They're going to want to try and keep him in the pocket a little bit more. I mean, you look at his rookie year to his uh, sophomore season, his completion percentage went to almost uh, 60% last year. Um, which I know that's not fantastic, but uh, for a guy like that, that going into the league, accuracy was the big question. Obviously, he has a big arm. A lot of people say it's stronger than Patrick Mahomes, which that says something. Um, but the accuracy was the big question. So bumping that accuracy up close to the 60% mark last year, I think you'll see that continue to increase. Like you said, you bring in Stephon Diggs, you have a, a good receiver to throw it to. Last year, obviously, John Brown, Cole Beasley, not bad necessarily, but not really a number one guy that you can rely on. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, like you said, shoring up the run game. Now it's not just the Devin Singletary show. You have Zach Moss. Yes, I have TJ Yeldon still there. Uh, a decent receiving threat out of the backfield. <clears throat> and uh, Dawson Knox and Tyler Croft, not to be forgotten, at tight end. It's a pretty decent offense around him. They've really done a, a pretty good job of building it up. So he has some weapons, maybe not top tier guys, but – it's a lot more than he had, you know, coming into the league uh, in Buffalo. So, again, I think he'll be around that five, six, seven mark for QB rankings. But we're going to see more on the passing side and a little bit less rushing yards. Probably still uh, seven or so rushing touchdowns. Last year he had nine. So that's fair. Do you think? I guess maybe this is more directed towards Houston. Do you think? I mean, last season with Josh Allen, he pretty much had, I mean, Reuben Foster and like Tom was mentioning, Cole Beasley and John Smokey Brown. Uh, adding Stefan Diggs because Stefan Diggs is a pretty good deep ball catcher. And like Tom mentioned, 
Josh Allen got a big cannon. Do you think that this could elevate his game at all? I mean, obviously a little bit, but do you think this kind of tips him over the edge? Yeah, and I think uh, what's the? I mean, John Brown had to play that possession uh, type of wide receiver last year, which he he really is not. If you looked at him in Arizona or in Baltimore, John Brown has been the deep threat. Um, however, when he was the wide receiver one for the Buffalo Bills, he played more of that slant possession kind of guy. So I think Diggs kind of takes more of that John Brown role we saw in 2019, which results in John Brown playing that deep guy. I'm watching Josh Allen his rookie year. He loved going to the deep ball, but we didn't see that much. Maybe that was his growth or maybe I don't know, but I I can see Josh Allen adding to that deep ball. He's still going to have accuracy concerns. Um, he's, he is the top of my tier two of quarterbacks. Uh, but I do think there's a big gap between those top six and then Josh Allen. Um, we talk about Josh Allen's rushing ability in the red zone. Uh, I think, that's going to go down a little bit because they brought in Zach Moss. I think he'll get goal line carries. They were giving it to Frank Gore up the middle, and he just wasn't going to score, and John or Josh Allen was the recipient of those touchdowns last season. But I think he could take a next step, but there is concerns. That's fair. I, like I said at the beginning, I got to see it before I believe it. Uh, but Houston, let's keep on going with you, man, and let's talk about a guy who – Essentially, the, the franchise is built around. They're giving him every toy a little kid could want. Uh, we know he's got bars. He's got a little bit of speed. I mean, a four seven forty. He's big, 6'4". Uh, he's an SEC guy, so, you know, winning just means a little bit more to him uh, from the University of Missouri. Uh, Drew Locke and the Denver Broncos. I mean, we're talking not only Cortland Sutton, but they add Jerry Judy, K.J. Hamler, um, Melvin Gordon, along with Philip Lindsay. Uh Got Von Miller, my boy, you know, so the defense is good. You know it's going to be good. <laughs> so, I mean, he finished. Is that two weeks in a row he's mentioned Von Miller in a fantasy football show? I just want to make sure I'm keeping count of that. Okay. I believe so, yes. I, mean, I think so. Houston was talking about IDP leagues a couple days ago, so you know, I got to throw him in, you know? When? <laughs> Not on the show. <laughs> in our new message. Just, you know, IDP. So, you know, Von Miller, if you're an IDP league, Probably don't get him anytime soon. You probably just pick him up really late, but he's going to help you win a little bit. And he did. <laughs> well, you know, he was on the Madden thing. I interrupted you. Go on to your next point. <laughs> I don't want to tangent on Von Miller real quick. Okay. But we'll keep on going. Houston, talk about Drew Locke, man. Is he going to break out this season with all these weapons? Yeah. And I think uh, a lot of people expected uh, early that Drew Locke was going to take a next step in uh, 2020. Uh, first thing I'll open up with his ADP is suggesting that people are kind of off the train. Um, he's dropped from uh, being the 139 to 154 in the last five weeks. So his ADP's dropped about a round and a half, two rounds. Um, are people having a, another preference at quarterback like Joe Burrow? It's possible. Um, but four and one as a starter last season, the thing is, uh, in only one of those games that he passed over 300 yards, I think I think the Broncos understand that Drew Locke doesn't have to throw for 300 yards for them to be successful. Like we talked about, additions galore, Melvin Gordon, Judy Hamler, and his college teammate, Albert O. Um, I honestly think the Broncos are going to be pretty run-heavy in 2020 with Gordon and Lindsey. Um, but there is – there's. Good weapons around him. There's no complaining about that. Um, they had the, in 2019 they had the third best receiver target separation at 1.97 yards, 
Uh, Sutton was just beating his guy, and that really helped with Luck. Judy's more the same. He's a good route runner. And then you're going to just have Handler maybe running out of the slot, going deep. Um, I love his value as it keeps dropping, but my but the dependence on the run game, they're going to run the ball and play defense. That's a Vic Fangio kind of way of football I'm familiar with. So there's a little hesitancy on Drew Locke, but his value is suggesting that he can be a good breakout this season. Dan, do you want to add anything to that? I know that me and you have talked, obviously, about Jerry Judy and what he can add to this offense, but how do you think Melvin Gordon helps him um, being kind of a safety blanket for him, or do you think they just kind of lean on Philip Lindsay and give Melvin Gordon a little bit of showcase in the red zone? Uh, I mean, look, every indication has been that Melvin Gordon is going to be the lead dog in this in this race. Um, I believe my split for them, I have him at about a, a 65-35 split between the two of them. Uh, with Roy Freeman getting mixed in there a little bit, until at least until he gets cut. I mean, I assume he's going to get cut, but he hasn't yet, so I have to factor him in to some degree, I guess. But, um, yeah, I, Pat Shermer's traditionally a one-back guy. Now, Phil Lindsay's too good to just be a mere backup. I think we all kind of recognize that. But the issue comes down to the fact that even though he's great in open space, he can't pass protect. And what boils that down to is that they trust Elvin Gordon in all three downs worse than they do Philip Lindsay. So while he'll be in the game more times than a backup would to spell a workhorse to give him a breather, um, it's not going to be as much as they need him to be. So that's, I have felt Lindsay borderline undraftable unless you're a Melvin Gordon owner, quite frankly, uh, because of that fact. I just don't. It's not going to be series by series basis. It's not going to be a split. It's not going to be a committee. And he's not going to get red zone targets. And he's not going to get most of the targets in general. So when you boil it all down, that's a lot of really valuable fantasy points that just aren't looking to go in Philip Lindsay's path right now. Um, so that's I, I, that's why I'm pretty big on Melvin Gordon. I still have him as a solid RB too. Um, you know, I don't think he has a tremendously high ceiling because of that. Love Jerry Judy. Love Cortland Sutton, obviously. But Drew Locke, I've said my piece about Drew Locke time and time again. I just I don't see it. But Pat Shermer does have a history of making bad quarterbacks look better than what they are. So that is a possibility, especially with the weapons that they have in place. So that is one thing he does have going for him. But as far as I'm concerned, he's my QB 28. That's fair. And finished 23 last year. So I'm sorry, that was Daniel Jones, not Drew Locke. Uh, but moving uh-huh. on, about Daniel Jones, I scrolled too quickly. I got, I got impatient on that one. My bad, guys. Uh, but Nate, no <laughs> I was just trying to multitask too much yet again. <laughs> <laughs> Nate, being a big New York Giants guy, man, Daniel Jones had so much hype on him last season. I mean, he's got Saquon. He had, or he's got Darius Slayton. He's got Evan Ingram, if Evan Ingram can stay healthy, who we'll talk about later as well. But a Duke University guy who they spent a lot, a huge draft capital on me. I mean, the sixth overall pick um, in the 2019 draft, got 4'8 speed, 6'5. He, he can throw the ball. Um, he seems like he's a pretty sharp guy, obviously, coming out of Duke. Um, is this the year that he breaks out and could help you win your league, Nate? So I think so. Um... If you didn't already, um, but um, yeah, first, to be honest, uh, when he got drafted, I thought they didn't go Haskins, but so far, so good with Jones over Haskins. Uh, I'll leave See, that there. Move, right? Yeah, so far, so good. I you know it's cross our fingers here, but uh, but Jones, the rookie season came in for Eli Manning, the GOAT, not actually, but uh, but I came in, gave Giants fans hope for the future against Tampa Bay, game winning drive, rushing touchdown, gave me, gave Giants Nation hope that this is the next Eli, and I think fantasy wise. He's not the next Eli, but he's the next top 10 quarterback. Um, 
Jones last year, over 3,000 passing yards, 24 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. The fumbles were much, 11 fumbles lost in 13 games. Um, Nate Solder, it's, it's a lot. I'm, I'll, I'll say that. It's a lot. But Nate Solder had his worst year of his career last year. Um, they're bringing Andrew Thomas, first-round pick. Um, I think, you know, Thomas wasn't the most – I, I say Thomas was the safest left tackle in that draft class, which I think the Giants made a good move making. They can't afford another Eric Flowers-type pick where he just busts and three years later he's gone. Um, so I think Thomas helps with that blind side, helps with the fumbles. And with Jones maturing in the NFL, I think he kind of learns, you know, when, it, when is it too much to stay in the pocket? When do you throw the ball away? And, when, you know, when do you just kind of say enough's enough? So I think after the rookie season, um, Jones' fumbles will be cut down with Thomas with a better O-line. They spent um, a solid amount of draft uh, picks on the O-line. Um, so I think Jones' fumbles reduced. He has Barkley, Slade, and Shepard, Engram, and Tate, you know, lots of weapons on the outside. The Giants' defense is pretty bad. Um, so, you know, late in the game, Jones will be flinging the rock. Um, I think I've him as my QB 10. I think he's a great value pick in the draft. Um, I picked him up actually in our St. Jude Valley Apple, go Tim Couch division. So, uh, um, you know, you know that that, that, that was happening. So uh, I think Jones takes an step forward. Jason Garrett's produced good quarterbacks as the OC. First four years in Dallas as, as the OC, um, his quarterback finished third, eighth, seventh, and ninth, according to fantasydata.com. So Jason Garrett has a history of producing solid quarterbacks. So big blue, Danny Dimes. Here we go. So the- you know, I agree with a lot of that, but then something came into my mind. I just want to see what the group thinks about this. I know you all saw this on Twitter. There's a picture of the two coaches with their face masks or with their masks on, and it's Jason Garrett, Freddie Kitchens standing next to each other, and it says, guys, don't forget the Giants hired Jason Garrett, Freddie Kitchens this offseason. I mean, does that affect any of these guys? I mean, Saquon, obviously Danny Dimes. I mean – what do y'all think? I mean, Saquon for the positive, right? Because we know he's going to get like 500 touches because he's going to keep giving him the ball until he falls from <laughs> the grave. Like, you whoa, know that whoa, much whoa. at least. Um, but yeah, woo, 10 for Daniel Jones. Man, that's that's not just an improvement, man. That's jumping on the fucking ass as a rocket ship <laughs> going to the moon. Like, woo, man. I got I got hold on. I got to do a double take here where I got him. And I have him at quarterback 23, so I've been finishing where he left off last year pretty much. Um, look. Here's the issue that comes down with Daniel Jones. One is Jason Garrett, who's just notoriously conservative, first and foremost. But second of all, I struggle with the Giants a lot. If they went with Darius Slayton as their number one perimeter wide receiver and didn't dick around with it, they would have a much better time schematically getting what Daniel Jones needs to do. Daniel Jones, even though he doesn't have a big arm, is actually much better when he's throwing the ball down the field. He's not great when he's checking it down and dinking and dunking all the time. He's better when he's taking shots. But I don't think that's going to happen. From everything that I have read, have heard about, is that it's Sterling Shepard and Golden Tate when they go to receiver sets. And if that continues to be the case, I question how many deep balls are going to be there. I question how aggressive this team is really going to be. And he's going to need need Evan Ingram to stay healthy in order for him to make that jump. And I just don't see that happening at the end of the day. I only have Evan Ingram projected for 12 games this season. So he still wants up being a tight end one, but for Daniel Jones, I just, I don't, I don't see it. He's, you'd have to throw the ball 625 times in my mind in order to even get close to being able to put up the numbers that he would need to be anywhere near the quarterback 12 uh, area. And that's just not going to more than 575 times would be a shock to me.
Betfred has come all the way from England to the great state of Iowa with over 50 years of sports betting experience. Fred is known in the UK for three things, customer service, bonuses, and delivering the best overall experience to players. Need more? Download the Betfred Sports app today and receive up to $250 in free bets when signing up. No emperors, no movie stars, just a sports book you can trust. Download today. Proud partner of the Iowa Wild and Iowa Cubs. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Betfred has come all the way from England to the great state of Iowa with over 50 years of sports betting experience. Fred is known in the UK for three things, customer service, bonuses, and delivering the best overall experience to players. Need more? Download the Betfred Sports app today and receive up to $250 in free bets when signing up. No emperors, no movie stars, just a sports book you can trust. Download today. Proud partner of the Iowa Wild and Iowa Cubs. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF. But you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. Sure, Jim Carrey. There's a chance. No, but, but I will say that I do agree with, with Engram on the field. That does open up the kind of vertical game and kind of opens up the defense more. You know, he has been injury prone since day one, basically. Sadly, he's very talented. I'll talk about him a little later in the show, but uh, I do agree with that if Engram stays healthy, I think Jones, Jones' chances of taking that next step forward are much higher. So I do agree with that. Man, Ingram, Geis, I guess injuries just mean more to us as well, huh? <laughs> Tom, let's talk about what you got behind you, man. I'm talking about the Eagles running back situation and Miles Sanders. The 53rd overall pick. The Eagles haven't invested in a running back that high since Shady McCoy. So they got to think this guy can do something. I mean, Penn State, he followed in the footsteps of Saquon. Um, they really haven't given him the, uh, I mean, they, they've had him on a short leash essentially. And there's all this talk if Devonta Freeman gets signed or is, you know, okay, y- you tell me because I'm probably the lowest on Miles Sanders and I, I just, I, I need to be convinced because I see this guy going early in or late in the first round. So first of all, you talked about, you know, drafting a running back that high since uh, LaShawn McCoy. Do you know what pick LaShawn McCoy was? Probably 57. 53rd. Oh, same number. Both 53rd picks, though. Um, Deuce Staley, actually, you know, when he was talking to him, uh, you know, rookie year there, said he reminded him a lot of LaShawn McCoy. You know, the way he has jump cuts, it's a similar running style. I'm not saying he's the same player. I'm not. Not even going to try and go there. Marcos, don't worry about it. <laughs> uh, the way I see it, they've already talked about you know going into this year, it is Miles Sanders' job, right? He is the number one receiver. They're done with uh, you know the running back by committee. It's his job. He is the number one back. Um, the reason I talked about, or you know, I shake my head that you know they're going to bring somebody else in. They already brought back. Um, their Super Bowl running back, Corey Clement. And again, it's all talk right now. We haven't seen it, but they're saying he's back in his form from uh, 2017 when the Eagles won the Super Bowl. He's back in, in, in shape. He's got chip on his shoulder, right? He's rolling. So I don't think Boston Scott's going to have a, a massive factor in, you know, in this season. I don't think Corey Clement's going to have a huge one as well, but they're going to be enough to take you know, touches here and there to keep Sanders fresh throughout the season with him having 
the number one job and the skill and you know potential that he showed rookie year, I mean, it, he has to be due for a big season. You get last year, he averaged four point six yards a carry, right? Five hundred nine, or excuse me, um, eight hundred eighteen uh, rushing yards, five hundred nine receiving yards for ten point two yards per uh, reception, and another three receiving touchdowns. I mean, he was the second best rookie running back by a very small margin to Josh Jacobs. And Josh Jacobs played a lot more than Miles Sanders did. So to me, that says with a full season's workload, he's going to be better. He's going to be a lot better. That's fair. I just had that Cheshire cat grin because you mentioned Josh Jacobs and you know how I get around him. Oh, I know you do. Miles Sanders got 10.2 yards per catch, uh, yards per reception as well. So that's pretty good. If they give this guy the full workload, like Dan told us the other day, if y'all are following Dan's Twitter account, he is breaking news from all over the league. So he was the first one to let me know that Deuce Staley, I think, was the one that said, hey, yep. this cat is going to be our running back. We're going to give him the rocks and let him roll. Um Dan, what do you think about this, man? If this guy does get the volume, he's he's legit. Yeah, I I have a hard time with Miles Sanders just because I don't believe that this guy is going to last 16 games if he gets that full workload just because of the way his body's built. Now, I can't project him for getting less than 16 games because he hasn't gotten injured yet, so we can't just expect that's going to be the case, and it's still a very good offensive line. Um, but, yeah, so, you just, so if you can't do that, if you can't necessarily expect him to lose games – then you have to look at the body to work. And the body work is without them bringing another running back 70% across the board from carries to targets, receptions, yards, to touchdown. When you add that all up, he winds up being my RB8 and winds up being my eighth player overall. So, yeah, he, he belongs in the top 10. He is in line for that workload. They're not going to bring a Devontae Freeman in. And they already let, you know, Lamar Miller went to the Patriots and Carlos High went to Seattle. So the other guys who I thought they might be interested in, that didn't wind up happening. I feel like they would have brought Freeman in at this point if they were going to do it. Yeah, Sanders is in line for a lot of work here. The only thing I want to correct you on, Tom, real quick, is that Boston Scott is, by all expectations, supposed to be the number two back, not Corey Clement. That would, that would, but that, as far as usage goes, it means nothing yeah. for Kyle Sanders. Either one of them are going to have a massive impact on the season. It's not a fantasy-relevant right. player necessarily, unless Sanders got an injury. But between the two of them, and I think that you, know, you have an RB8. I think ceiling-wise, absolutely, he could be in that, that low top 10 range. I think he'll end up just outside of the top 10 i think that you know you could see him you know losing some snaps due to i'm not going to say a severe injury or anything like that but you get banged up by the end of a season with that kind of workload you definitely did hit it on the head his body is not built for a you know 500 touches a a season it's he's not like saquon that's just going to blow people over and not care Uh, but i I mean i think he's going to be pushing that top 10 pretty easily just based on that workload yeah, it's volume. It's volume, and it's it's when you get these guys in fantasy football, that's the thing you really have to attack, especially when you're attacking from a half-point, full-point PPR standpoint, is that you get guys who are going to get five to seven targets with 15-plus carries a game. You're going to have a guy who, if he's any good at all, is going to be finishing in the top 12 of his position that week. So that's just what we're looking at with Miles Sanders with the with the amount of volume that's looking in store for him. And hey, if the Eagles receivers can't stay healthy again this year, then he's going to go for another. Which they're already on their way to not doing because you got exactly. all on the pop list, and exactly. we all know Deshaun might last eight games. And yeah, <laughs> eight, I, eight's I generous. Mean, yeah, well, I know, but that's that, that's the whole point. Like 
you're going to be back to Greg Ward, dumping it down to Don, Miles Sanders, just like you were last year. Maybe Jalen Rager can stay a little bit healthier. We'll see. But yeah, exactly, exactly the point. So even in that scenario where Boston Scott would probably play a little bit more and get a few more receptions, it's still not going to matter as far as Miles Sanders is concerned. Yep. That's fair. Houston, let's talk about a guy who got a phone call from Patrick Mahomes, text message, however you want to call it, and said, hey, man, Come be a chief. Last pick in the first round. Someone that no one saw coming but you, my man, uh, told us hours before the draft started, CEH to the Chiefs, and all of us were like, what's this dude? What, what is he? Is he drunk already? It's like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. What's going on? Uh, but he ended up with the Chiefs, ended up being in Patrick Mahomes' backfield, steps into the running back one role right now is what we can see. Um Obviously, the game means a lot to the guy. I mean, he went to LSU, went to the SEC. Uh, he runs a four. So that's why it means a lot to him. <laughs> that's the only segue I had at the time because I kind of got flushing for a second, so I had to kind of do something. Uh, ADP shows him right now, like the seventh overall pick. I think you took him at six or something like that. Um, but I mean, you're so high on this guy. I don't. I I, I think he's ready. He's already broken out in my mind. But what what do you have on him? Yeah, and I know Dan isn't going to agree with any of the current ADP on this guy, which is perfect. Oh, you've been listening to my show. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm just joking. Um, you know, it kind of, going back to the draft a little bit, it just kind of felt right that CEH would land in Kansas City. Uh, nothing against Taylor Swift. You know, they might be honestly better running backs. Uh, but, you know, they have their Andy Reid has his type, and that's what he saw in Clyde. Um, we'll go into a little bit of SEC talk for you, unfortunately. Second yeah, in the SEC in rush yeah, attempts. <laughs> yeah, second in the SEC with rush attempts, second in rush yards, first in rushing, touch, rushing touchdowns, and first in yards from scrimmage. I like to look at one of his big games against one of the best teams in college football, Alabama, uh, 5.2 yards of rush. He had 180 total yards that game and four scores. I mean, if you're doing it against Bama, I mean, you are a quality running back. Uh, obviously, playing in that system at LSU helps him. Uh, it's crazy. We, he had 55 catches out of the backfield. You don't see that out of college back, and that's just something that probably the Chiefs saw, and that's why he was a first-round pick. Obviously, he's not the generational talent like I think Jonathan Taylor is. Uh, one thing that I don't like about Clyde is he doesn't hold very long, uh, very good long speed. He might get through the first – you know, 10 yards, but someone's going to catch him. Uh, there's film of 275-pound uh, DNs catching up to him on the sideline. He just doesn't have that breakaway long speed, kind of like David Montgomery, but with better hands and more elusiveness. Um, I took him in our belly up bowl at 1.7, and it's pretty – there's a lot of other leagues. Travis Sumter, he took him early. It, he's he's going to – I miss the days of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in the third round. I should have did more drafts when that was happening. Um, but he, I can see him go anywhere between the 106. That's about as early as I'll take him. You're going to see it. People are going to probably take him earlier over Kamara, which is a mistake. But – when you play in that offense, there's a good possibility that you have 10-plus uh, touchdowns because they're going to be in the red zone so much. Um, it's so hard. Everybody's going to have a different view on Clyde. He's one of the most polarizing players in fantasy right now, and it really is just like, are you going to take the bullet and see if he does well? Is this going to be another Kareem Hunt kind of rookie season? 
it's real interesting. I'm like I said, very polarizing. I'm going to take the risk just because you know I like that matchup in Week 16 against Atlanta, <laughs> but uh, looking forward a little bit too much. But yeah, I, it's hard to call him a breakout candidate since I haven't seen him. But I think he's going to be really successful. Dan, why don't you take a sip of that beer real quick and let us know your insight on Clyde Edwards Hilaire? Well, I want to make it clear here. He's still my RB13. It's not like I'm making the guy fall off the face of the cliff or anything <laughs> like that. Even though it seems like if you're anybody who doesn't have him in the first round, that's how you pretty much get treated. Why do you hate Clyde Edwards Hilaire? <laughs> uh, look, the point is with him that I've made, God, I don't know, a million times, I feel like on social media this past week, is that. He's not on the same talent stratosphere as the top five of the Dalvin Cooks. He's not on the same talent stratosphere as the Joe Mixons, the Derrick Henrys, the, the Josh Jacobses, the Nick Chubbs, all those guys. He's not on the same talent level. That doesn't mean he can't outwork them per, from a fantasy perspective, but I don't see him getting 200 carries. I So from that perspective, it's, it's kind of hard, and I don't see him getting the goal line work. That was the other thing I was trying to think of. I don't see him getting all the goal line work when they're going when they're within inside the five yard line. They want to bulldoze it. I see that going to Darrell Williams. I see it going to DeAndre Washington. I, these guys That's are going to Mahomes' old teammate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I also see DeAndre Washington getting mixed in sometimes on passing downs. I think it is going to take him a few weeks before he's ready to pick up NFL blitzes before he can really be trusted as a pass protector, especially since he hasn't had much time to practice and get involved with that aspect of it. Something a lot of rookies have to overcome, especially when you're talking about a guy like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire who doesn't have a big physical stature to begin with, so he's already kind of playing behind the eight balls. That means your technique and your mental capacity has to be sound in that department in order for you to play a lot in those positions, in order for you to, for you to be trusted. We just talked about Miles Sanders. A big Miles Sanders didn't play until Jordan Howard went down. A big reason for that is because he was not ready to pass protect. That happens with rookies constantly. When, and, and when Jordan Howard went down, they had no choice but to trust him. Now, he got better as the season went on, but that's a big reason why he didn't play early on in the season. And a lot of people forget about that. Um, I'm not saying Clyde Russell is not going to be a starter. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I am saying is there's going to be some limits to his volume. I still have him going for 12 touchdowns. I still have him going for over 1,300 yards total. I still am getting about 55 receptions. This guy is still going to be very valuable. Like I said, he's my RB13. I take him in the second round all day, every day. But I'm not taking him in that first round. There's just there's a little too much risk for me involved and a guy who doesn't necessarily have as high as a ceiling as a lot of those other guys that I mentioned. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, this is probably the one guy that we haven't seen. Any, obviously, it's, it's the one guy we haven't seen anything of. And then with this so such a weird offseason, no OTAs, such a big thing. Like you mentioned how rookies aren't getting these snaps. They aren't getting the mental preparation. And yet this guy, Scott Fish, drafted him fifth overall. So, I mean, it, it's a lot of risk, a lot of reward, I guess, like Houston was mentioning as well. Um, so we'll just kind of have to wait and see. Um, I think that if I was in like that sixth or seventh spot and I was feeling a little frisky, I think I would just do it just because I want to be on that train, baby. I want to be on that CEH train. Uh, but then also I want to be on that train if it falls and just be like, God damn it. Okay, I'd, much rather, I'd much rather be on that Joe Mixon train six picks. Okay. Right yeah, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. I like that. Um, so kind of mentioning how CEH is a little bit undersized, I guess, at 5'7 and 207. Let's talk about a guy who we saw uh, on Twitter today with his mask on looking like an absolute behemoth. Um, Jonathan Taylor, man. I mean, oh, my God. This dude was yoked out of the University of Wisconsin Badgers, man. Runs a 4 4 40, 
226, the 41st overall pick in the 2020 draft. Um, his ADP right now suggests somewhere around the fourth round. Um, the dude, I mean, six over 6,000 yards in three years in college. Billy, this kid has the best, one of the best, probably the best offensive line in the game. Uh, have a veteran quarterback, um, a good receiver in T.Y. Hilton, who's got a veteran presence. Um, in, a right, in the right system for this guy to kind of take off, and Marlon Mack is there to help him learn the system. Um, could this rookie right here be the guy that is the number one running back uh, at the end of the year? Jonathan Taylor's a guy, you know, really excited about him going to Indy with that line, bringing Rivers in, like you said, you know, veteran QB to kind of keep defenses honest, run the offense the way it should be ran. But to be honest, Marlon Mack is a very good running back. He's been very productive when he's healthy. I mean, this guy has produced every time he's on the field. If you go look at his numbers, you might be surprised at what Marlon Mack's put on the stat sheet. I don't expect Jonathan Taylor to take a, all of that role away from Mack uh, that early. You know, we talk about it every week. Dan just alluded to it. I think Houston mentioned it as well. Pass pro with rookie backs, uh, especially with no OTAs like we keep talking about. Uh, it might take Jonathan Taylor a little while to get up to speed. This isn't the simplest offense. And, you know, these guys are looking to throw the ball, too, with Rivers and, you know, use their defense to win some games. But two-headed monster with Mack and Taylor for sure. Maybe Taylor starts to take the job later. But I like Marlon Mack in this offense, and I, I think Jonathan Taylor's probably looking forward to a better uh, better role, bigger role next season. However, you know, he coming out of college – Basically three 2,000-yard seasons, just shy as a sophomore, 2,000 yards back-to-back years, plenty of touchdown production. But the biggest thing I can say coming out, he really put an emphasis on, on catching balls out of the backfield. Eight receptions as a sophomore, eight receptions as a, as a junior – well, sorry, freshman and sophomore. And then as a junior, 26 receptions, over 10 yards of catch, five touchdowns. So uh, 28 touchdowns total his final year of college coming to the pros. I think that was an emphasis and something that uh, Philip Rivers, if there's not a quarterback that dumps it off to running backs more than Rivers, you know, I'd like to see who he is. But uh, I think he gets a lot of work, but I think it might take a while for him to really take that role with the slow yeah, start. Yeah, I, I agree with that, Tom. Um, do you have anything different to say about Jonathan Taylor? Because, like kind of Billy mentioned, I'm a fan of Return of the Mac, man. I love that song. I love Marlon Mack. Uh, Jonathan Taylor is probably the number one guy next year. Yeah, I mean, I'm all in on Jonathan Taylor in uh, Dynasty Leagues, to be honest. I think that it's, like we said, it's that year one, he needs to develop a little bit. And why rush it when you have a guy like Marlon Mack there, right? You can have that year with Mack and then just let Jonathan Taylor learn. Learn the pass protection. Learn you know the schemes of that offense. Like you were saying, it's not a simple one. Um, I'm curious as to see what happens with Philip Rivers. I mean, you talked about you know, they want to pass it. I mean, it's four-yard passes five maybe it's but uh no i mean it's uh, i think it's a development year for him that's what's going to be best not necessarily what they'll do but uh and year two he's hitting the ground running and running hard houston do you think it jonathan taylor's adp where he kind of sits right now in that fourth round are you are you going to take him or are you going to take a wide receiver off the border maybe more established running back no i just took jonathan taylor in the fourth round of our belly up bull um I don't think it's going to take 250, 300 touches for this guy to produce. Um, you know, I a big thing I learned last year is find the players that can help you win now and a little bit down in the season. Um, kind of like A.J. Brown last year, Devontae Parker. I was early on those guys, picked them up 
week six, seven, eight, and then they paid Miles Sanders too, and then they paid off to me when it really counted. Um, I'm o- that's kind of how I play fantasy. I'm always looking forward. Uh, I really like Jonathan Taylor not to take the backfield in weeks one through five, one through six, but when it starts coming nine, ten, eleven, uh, I think even with 10 to 15 carries a game, 15 is a little high, but he's going to produce if he has five yards of carry behind that offensive line when they find out Phillip Rivers' arm isn't as good as they believe. And T.Y. has hamstring injuries. You're counting on Michael Pittman to be the number one wide receiver um, as a rookie. I like Michael Pittman, but that's a lot to ask, kind of like how we saw with J.J. Arcega-Whiteside last season. When you ask a rookie wide receiver to take on that role, it's hard. So they're going to rely on the run game. I think Mac's going to have good first eight weeks, and I think Taylor's going to have a good last eight. So that's just where I stand. Obviously, fourth round is a risk, but I'd rather take the risk there with a generational talent at running back. Dynasty-wise, he's going to be a first-round pick probably next year in redraft leagues. So I'm just trying to be a little ahead of the curve. That's fair, man. I like that. I like that. Let's move on forward, though, to a guy that Dan talked about earlier that kind of, or maybe it was Tom, I forgot. One of you guys, I had a big Cheshire cat grin on my face. Uh, Josh Jacobs, man. Hard Knocks favorite. He wasn't even on Hard Knocks very much last season. Love the story. Love the guy. Love the university. Love the cow. Love the, the, the division. University of Alabama on the 4 5 unofficial 40, the 24th overall pick in the 2019 draft. John Gruden saw this kid, looked at his story, and was like, whoa. Let's tell the world about this guy. Who would you not like? They're moving to Vegas, Sin City. You want a guy like this as the face of your franchise who, if he can stay healthy, and not even if he can stay healthy, if Gruden will keep him on the field, because we already saw last season where he wasn't healthy and old boy was still running the rock. I mean, I think it was like week seven or eight he got hurt, and he was still in there pounding the rock, not wanting to get taken out of the game. Um, I'm a fan of this kid. I've spent up on him. So, Nate, let's talk about Josh Jacobs. And could this finally be the year? Well, I guess could this be his year to break out if they involve him in the passing game? Yeah, so I'm also big on Jacobs. I actually just took him round one, pick nine in our belly up bowl draft. Um, I love Jacobs. Last year, I averaged 4.8 yards per carry. Um, the Raiders have a, a very solid offensive line. So that's definitely a, you know another fa- a positive factor for Jacobs going into the season. Um, but like you said, Chris, you know, you got Lynn Bowden now, um, that kind of – you know, oh, Dan, Dan mentioned Lynn. Lynn. Oh, right. Yes. Um, yeah. Bowden got Richard. So the passing game is questionable how he gets involved there. Um, his running abilities, no, no doubt. Um, you know, he's one of the best running backs in the league. Um, and like you said, John Green just kind of said, you're not hurt. Get out there, kid. And just kept running the rock. So this guy's a fighter. You know, he fights for every yard. 5'10", um, 210, big build. Um red zone kind of guy just powers in the end zone. But again, passing game is a question. I think he gets the carries, but you know, if Rashard and Bowden are going to eat up those targets, how, you know, how does that factor in? So I think Jacobs has a breakout year. Um, I hope so at least. Um, yeah, that's what I got. I think that if he can, if you could solidly say that he's going to get like what 40 catches this season, because he had what last season, 24, yeah. some, some silly number like that. Yeah. If they can get him involved, Dan, do you think he's got potential to be a top four back? I mean, if you really want to make that argument, I guess if things really went his way, I don't know. I don't know if the offensive line is good enough for him to really be a top four guy. He doesn't quite have the explosive ability as some of those other guys do that you kind of really look for. Um, I love Josh Jacobs, though. I do have him as RB12. I have him one spot ahead of Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. 
Uh, I have him getting 45 receptions. And with that in mind, that should be... And when I talk about these rankings, I'm talking about them half-point PPR standpoint. So 45 should be enough to get him right there. Should be enough to give him a little bit of a floor consistently. We know they're willing to give him the ball 18 to 20 times. Um, the one thing that we I questioned a little bit going into last year was that how can he hold up 16 games consistently? Didn't quite do it last year. He has never been a bell cow. He was never a bell cow in Alabama. He has, hasn't been a bell cow until now. He reaches the NFL. I just wonder if his 16-game season is really more of a 14-game season and what that kind of depends on. When are you going to lose those two games? That would be the only thing I'm kind of concerned about. But as far as guys just consistently, you know, are going to get the ball, they're going to get 20 touches one way or the other, he's that guy for me. We know he's going to feed him. And that's, that's why I, Josh Jacobs is still a borderline RB1 to me. But I don't know if he has a top four potential. Okay, that's fair. Joshua, thank you for tuning in with us. I know I showed you my 1.05 pick on Josh Jacobs, and you laughed at me. So <laughs> you are in agreement with the rest of the crew, but I'm going to go forward with Josh Jacobs at the five, the fifth overall pick. Uh, y'all can laugh at me later when Dalvin Cook has a huge year. Okay, but we're <laughs> to our pass catcher, guys, and to another University of Alabama alum, Calvin Ridley. This guy is in one of the most explosive offenses and probably one of the best divisions, as Houston's mentioned a couple times. These guys play in a dome. They've got a good running back that they just brought in. They've got arguably one of the best wide receivers out there. Uh, they bring in a new uh, tight end as well who has the potential to break out. Um, but this guy, Calvin Ridley, man, huge speed. And 93 targets last year, caught 63 balls, almost 900 yards, seven touchdowns. He's got a nose for the end zone. Tom... Could this be the year that, you know, I keep on saying, Julio, it's an even year. Could it be Calvin Ridley's year? And this dude's about to just explode all over my face. You know, to be honest, I don't really think it matters that much what Julio does this year. Um, I mean, even year, odd year, whatever, Julio can't get into the end zone. That's all good and fine. You look at the last two years, Calvin Ridley, 92 targets in 2018, 93, or, uh, yeah, 93 targets in 2019. Uh, 821 yards, 2018, 866 last year, 10 touchdowns, seven touchdowns. I mean, it seems like this might be the makings of one of the most consistent, maybe not top tier, but pretty high level receivers in the league for some time. I mean, it it seems like if, if the quarterback uh, play can, you know, stay at the level it's at, which is, Betfred has come all the way from England to the great state of Iowa with over 50 years of sports betting experience. Fred is known in the UK for three things, customer service, bonuses, and delivering the best overall experience to players. Need more? Download the Betfred sports app today and receive up to $250 in free bets when signing up. No emperors, no movie stars, just a sports book you can trust. Download today. Proud partner of the Iowa Wild and Iowa Cubs. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Betfred has come all the way from England to the great state of Iowa with over 50 years of sports betting experience. Fred is known in the UK for three things, customer service, bonuses, and delivering the best overall experience to players. Need more? Download the Betfred sports app today and receive up to $250 in free bets when signing up. No emperors, no movie stars, just a sports book you can trust. Download today. Proud partner of the Iowa Wild and Iowa Cubs. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF above average we'll say with Matt Ryan uh you know <laughs> i mean it's he's in for close to a thousand yards and probably eight to ten touchdowns i think 
every season pretty much. I think it's going to depend on exactly where you're able to draft him. But to me, he's the better pick than Julio um, because he's – I'm more confident in him getting the touchdowns. And the yardage won't be uh, that far off at least. Yeah, I can see that happening. Billy, do you have anything to add to this? Uh, I know you're a kind of big Calvin Ridley guy. I, I just think Ridley is prime, uh, you know, for his – Big breakout. We saw some stretches last year, some good production. But one thing uh, Bill Polian said about Calvin Ridley coming out, that he was Marvin Harrison all over again. Haven't seen that yet, but anything Bill Polian says is gold at my house. So, uh, you know, I'm a Ridley fan until he proves me otherwise. I, I like the prog- I like his development so far next to Julio. <laughs> I'd like to think he's taking some notes, you know, leading by example. Obviously, Julio's that kind of guy. So, uh, Todd Gurley going there with some run game, I think will make defenses play a little more honest. Uh, you know, last year everybody was banged up. The running game was pretty stagnant. It's easy to play defense when you know they're throwing. So I think that helps Ridley out. Hopefully Julio scores some touchdowns and, and pulls a little more coverage and scares people when they get in, down in the red zone. And uh, they don't have to rely on little Calvin Ridley. And, you know, obviously Hayden Hurst should help a little bit too. So I think Ridley gets some more one-on-ones. He, he could be in for a really big year this year. I mean, I think it was like kind of, if y'all have ever seen that old film, Nate, it might be a little bit too old for you, but Beetlejuice, you mentioned it three times. I mean, Todd Gurley, Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones is three SEC players, so I had to mention something. Obviously, Julio is teaching Calvin, baby Calvin, something, man, both Alabama alums. Julio comes from the undefeated Alabama season. You know, Calvin Ridley is going to learn a little bit something from him. And then Todd Gurley comes in, the whole SEC trifecta just works. And... <laughs> Let's move on forward and make it a connect four, guys. Houston, let's talk about a University of Georgia. Go Bulldogs. I love Mecole Hardman, man. A guy who's got – No, no, no. Okay, hold on. Time out. You get one team in college, okay? Not, you don't get a conference. You don't get SEC. Texas A&M. 16. Stick to it. You don't get anybody else. You don't touch the Alabama. You guys hate Alabama. You don't get the roof of the entire SEC. <laughs> it's not how it works. It's, All right, it, go it on. It means more to us, Dan, so we get to do that. <laughs> I mean – Week two. If, if, if it was it's like, like me being Yankees fan, like, yeah, sorry, I claim the Red Sox players too because they play in the AL. <laughs> I got every, every SEC player is a different spreadsheet. I'm sorry, Dan. But let's talk about McCole Hardman, Houston. This guy has lightning. He's lightning in a bottle, man. He didn't get the ball too much because he wasn't on the field too much. But when he was, he excelled and a little – or yes, it was uh, from PFF today, came out. Most PPR fantasy points per touch by a wide receiver in 2019. Kenny Galladay at 3.45. AJB, AJ Brown, 3.47. And McCole Hardman. I agree, that's a good thing. AJB, AJ Brown, not AJG. My bad. Um, So, I mean, he's behind Tyreek Hill. He's behind Sammy Watkins. What, what do you think? Could this guy ascend and be that number two guy outside, I guess, of Travis Kelsey as well? Yeah, I mean, this is where it's kind of getting to a lot of mouths to feed, but he does have good speed, 4-3-3-40. I have Meekle in a couple shares, a couple teams, and I like to call Meekle the guy that everybody thinks they can pick up the running back off the waiver and try to trade for. I've gotten Lamar Miller yesterday for Meekle. I've gotten LaShawn McCoy for Meekle. I don't know why people are trying to trade me. If I wanted to pick up Miller or McCoy, I would have did it. But uh, five 25-yard-plus touchdown receptions in 2019, 
Highest receiving grade when targeted versus single coverage in 2019. Uh, 14.6 of Meikle's targets have went for touchdowns so far, which, I mean, makes sense. He's a deep ball guy. Tied for first for most touchdowns in the slot uh, with six touchdowns. You know, keep putting linebackers on him and see how that's going to go defenses. I just kind of have to laugh at that one. (laughs) Then finally, 14.9 receiving yards per target. I mean, everything I said suggests that he's a good deep ball guy. And when he gets the ball, he's just electric. You know, Tennessee Titans game, uh, Mahomes had a little jump pass there. Meikle grabs it, you know, 15 yards down the field and then takes off for a 40, 50-yard scamper for a touchdown. Um, it's just he's probably going to be the fourth guy at best. Uh, obviously, he might be more talented than Watkins, but if you pay Watkins that much, he's going to be on the field. Um so you're looking at the fourth, fifth guy on this team. Obviously, it's very high-powered, but that's not just going to spell that he's fantasy success. Um, he Best ball guy, really good, you know. Um, I'm trying to grab this guy in best balls because then you don't have to set a lineup on him. I just don't know a week that you're going to be able to set Mikko Harmon, even in your flex as a player. Um, it's just he might break out. He might score more touchdowns this season, but – I don't think he's reliable enough to play week to week. Nate, being a big fan of Evan Ingram and health being a big concern, do you see this guy getting on the field at all to break out if someone doesn't go down? I mean, me, Cole, just a big play wouldn't happen. Um, we're talking about Hartman, not Ingram, right? Just to make sure. Right. Okay, okay, right. okay. I know sometimes when they say stuff about SEC players, it just kind of sticks with me too. So I'm sorry. Uh, I, I know. It's a common mistake we all make. Um <laughs> But, yeah, I think Miko does get time on the field. He's too explosive not to. Um, Watkins and KC, I don't, I don't know how long that's going to last. Um, I, I don't think he traded, but I think his role isn't as big as people think it is. Um, and Hardman, like Houston said, not reliable. But if it hits, it's going to hit big. Um, and, in like, you know, in a, in a Scott Fishbowl or in a big, bigger league like St. Jude Belly Up Bowl, this is a guy you want on your team to break out and just have that huge, you know, game-winning week. He's not going to be a solid flex play every week. I do agree with that. But – when he, when he hits, it's going to hit big. That's fair. That's fair. Um, Billy, let's talk about a guy who needs to trust the process. I guess he trusts the process in college as well. Um, and like Houston mentioned, it's going to be hard for him to ascend in the NFL to become that number one wide receiver for the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, great offensive line, veteran quarterback who can't throw the ball further than eight yards apparently. Uh, so Michael Pittman Jr., man, uh, great pedigree as I always say. Big guy, 6'4", USC Trojan guy. Uh, a four five forty, you know, didn't have a stellar rookie sophomore year, but senior year, man, was he electric to watch and fun to watch at USC. Um, it is going to be hard for him to break out, like Houston and Dambo said. But does he have the possibility to break out and become a a number twenty ish eighteen guy? I think that might be a bit high, but I think a lot of it predicates if T.Y. Hilton's healthy. If he can run in that number two role where he's going to get more one-on-ones and be able to use his size and his frame uh, to catch balls, he's going to be fine. If he's going to be the guy that they're going to double cover and he's going to have to run routes that he's probably not set up to run uh, you know, and, and execute effectively all the time, uh, I, I think he could struggle and, and the passing game will as well. But 101 catches, 1,200 yards as a senior at USC. He's a volume guy. He's going to get a lot of targets. And we've seen Phillip Rivers with Vincent Jackson. If you line up Vincent Jackson and Michael Pittman Jr., they are the same athlete. Vincent Jackson might have a little bit more of a knack getting uh, deep on a safety than Michael Pittman, but a red zone threat that the Colts have not had in a very long time. 
I think Pittman brings that to the table for sure, and Rivers will use him. Um, but if T.Y. Hilton's not on the field and they're battling injuries, I see them just hunkering down a lot of Jonathan Taylor, a lot of Marlon Mack. But Pittman's future is definitely more bright maybe than his rookie season. But this is a guy I'm really excited about. They took him before they took Jonathan Taylor, knowing what kind of skill set he brings, and they got Rivers' guy. He needs a guy that doesn't create separation. The one thing about Pittman that, that is a drawback is he is not a guy that has the hips for double moves. So D-backs can just sit physical on him and stay on his body. But with that big frame, he still makes the catches with guys draped all over him. So I think he could have a big year, but it's going to, you know, he's going to have to get Rivers' trust because Rivers is going to have to put in some small windows for him to make those plays. That's fair. Dan, at ADP, ADP suggests around the 13th round. Are you, are you using a 13th round pick on this guy? No, I don't, I don't think the upside's there this year. And Michael Pittman, he's going to be great the second Philip Rivers leaves. The second he leaves, he's going to be absolutely fantastic in the red zone. I like this guy a lot. Look, he's, he doesn't get a lot of separation, like to Billy's point, like he was saying. But the thing is about being a rookie and being the third receiver on there, remember, they are going to harp on getting Paris Campbell the ball this season. They are going to harp on him being that number two guy. So that means Michael Pittman would have to score about eight to 10 touchdowns to, to even be fantasy relevant because I just don't see the targets going his way. I have him for about 45 receptions, maybe, or I'm sorry, excuse me, 50 receptions, about 70 targets for the year. Not a lot of yards. He's not a guy who goes downfield a lot. He's really a short to intermediate guy, even though he's kind of a big guy. It's really just the touchdowns you're kind of hoping for. I only have him for four. Now that's assuming T.Y. Hilton is more healthy than not. Uh, but like, you know, I've, I put out there in a tweet the other day, we we're talking about his hamstring issue. He should be fine for week one, but it's already cropping up with the soft tissue injuries already at this point. So that is a concern there. But as a rookie wide receiver with a quarterback that I just don't trust anymore, the way he used Mike Williams, Mike, I mean, Mike Williams getting four touchdowns is because Philip Rivers, where he has digressed in his, in his career at this point. Um, so I just, I don't see it this season, maybe next year, but I'm not wasting a 13th round pick on, on a Michael Pittman this year. I like guys like Jalen Rager going that late. Um, John Ross is going that late. Uh, I'd rather take my shots on those type of guys than on Michael Pittman. Yeah, I don't doubt that. I, John Ross, the third right there, baby. I loved him right there in the 13th round over Michael Pittman. I would agree with you on that. Um, Nate, the 25th overall pick in the 2019 draft, a 5'9". 170-pound guy. Dan posted, I saw this too. He gained 23 pounds, man. That's a lot of weight for this little guy, right? <laughs> uh, says it's all muscle, so I'm ready to see him. Um, he has a he has 4'3 speed, so hopefully that weight didn't, you know. Sh- the weight's a little misleading. Is um, it? It's a little misleading. Can you explain because- that to us, Dan? Because when I saw that, I was like, wait, what? Yeah, the reason it's a little misleading is because after he had the surgery last year, he was unable to work out. He's used to playing at 180, but he dropped the 157 during the season. That's what he was playing at last year. So he's oh, pretty wow. much put back on the weight that he lost, essentially. he put So really, at the end of the day, he put on 10 extra pounds of what his normal playing weight had been up until last season. So a year in the NFL, 10 more pounds, seems good. Yeah, especially when you're Marquise Brown, because it's just it, he's too skinny to go over the middle, right? I just you know, <laughs> cringed every time he went over the middle. It's a little scary. One, yeah. one decent hit, and I just don't see how this guy is getting back up again. He's so electric, and if he could put on that muscle mass, I think he is the closest thing to Tyreek Hill. I just think he needs to get a little bit stockier, but that's what I think he could really be. Yeah. What do you think, Nate? Yeah, like Dan said, like you know, I've sat on here before. I see Brown as like Tyreek Hill Jr. You know, not as good yet. I think he won't be as good in the future, but he has the same speed, same 
you know, just big playability to break the game open. You know, he's five nine. Dan explained the whole weight to us. So he's one. So he's one eighty usually, and now he's one seventy. Is that is that what Dan was saying? He's one eighty yeah. now. He's one eighty now. Yes. Okay, yeah. gotcha. All right, so five nine one eighty usually, and Hill is five ten one eighty five. Hill ran a four three two in the combine. Oh, sorry, Hill ran a four two nine in the combine. Brown ran a four three two. So I mean, the comps are there. The the, the build and the and the speed. Um, Ravens are gonna run the ball a lot again this season. But I think Lamar has to fill the ball more. I think defenses. I think that you know he had a great year, but I think defenses are gonna adjust um, enough that he has to throw the ball more than he did last year, which should open up more targets for Brown, more receptions, which gives him kind of a higher floor, I think. Um, he has, like I said before, he has that big playability to just break the game open. I think he takes the next step forward this season. Houston, what do you think about this, man? Um, there, obviously, this guy has the comps to Tyreek Hill um, with just who he is. But kind of like Clyde Edwards-Hilaire versus one of the other top running backs, it's just the system that they're in, right? The system of the Ravens isn't meant to be a high-flying offense. They're going to ground and pound. You know, the Green and J.K. Dobbins they are going to run the ball a lot. Does Marquise Brown have, like Dan mentioned, does he have the ability to have that volume this season to be worth his ADP? I mean, his current ADP is going to probably sit around the late sixth, early seventh round. So people, people are predicting a breakout for him. I am too. Um, the thing is, the numbers that he had last season, he did it pretty banged up. He's playing on one foot. Uh, that Liz Frank injury coming into Baltimore, really, uh, he played the state or screws in his foot last season. And, you know, week one against Miami, he 150 yards and two scores. Um, I think a big thing is when the going got tough, like everybody predicts this year, uh, Lamar having to throw the ball. Marquise Brown was a big part of their passing game. In the playoff game against the Tennessee Titans, I was trying to look it up here real quick to give you the numbers. But nonetheless, when the going got tough, that's who Lamar relied on. Um, you know, I think he's going to have a good season. I Obviously, people think so as well with this current ADP. Um, Lamar is going to have to fill the ball more. And there's no one really there that I think will contend for the number one wide receiver. Obviously, Mark Andrews can contend as the number one pass catcher. Um but with that being said, I don't think Willie Sneed is going to really make a difference in that Baltimore Ravens offense. And you're looking at more like Devin DuVernay or uh, the other guys around there. But, yeah, uh, one thing is I like about Marquise Brown. He's going to play a lot in the slot. Baltimore Ravens led the league last year in slot touchdowns. Uh, so that was actually the guy Michael Hardman was tied for first with with slot scores was Marquise Brown. So, yeah, give me Marquise Brown in 2020. I like it. All right, all right. Houston, I'm going to come back to you right now, but I'm going to give this guy a little bit of a big pump up, more than I normally would for a Penn State guy, just because he is a a favorite of one of our own Ryan Hicks, and he's not here to talk about him. But this dude, Mark Gusecki, 6'6", Penn State, Nittany Lions. Mike, Mike Gusecki. Mike, you can't can't get the name right. <laughs> but, I mean, Saquon's teammate at the Combine, Freaks, man. Four or five speed at this huge catch radius. I mean, this guy finished tight end 11 last season in, 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 a, in, a, in a position where it's so bad. So this guy had a lot of hype on him last season, was the 42nd pick in 2018 by the Dolphins. Ryan's really high on him. I know that we've got some mixed feelings about him. Houston had some stats from one of our friends of the show, Detroit Beastie. 
apparently was the wrong stat, but we'll move on forward. Chris, you're okay about that. Houston, let us know about Mike Gusecki, and what do you think about him, man? Do you think he's going to break out this season? You know, not really, but I'll give you some stats here, but I just want to preface this. I'm not a guy that searches to talk shit about other fantasy players, fantasy analysts. You know, that's not the person I am. I'm not trying to put people down for their takes. But I think when there's facts and stats that support things, at least with my opinion, I'm going to give them out there. No offense against Ryan. And you bring up his combine, and which is great. He ranked in the 99th, 100 percentile, and a lot of those things that the uh, combine does, 99th percentile in speed score. And it looks good, but it doesn't matter how well you compete in shorts and a shirt if it doesn't translate to the field. Um, 37th out of tight ends and target separation at 1.17 yards. Uh, (laughs) No, that's not – I mean, not very good. Uh, He had 6.0 yards per target, which is 30th in the NFL among tight ends. 9.9 yards in college. This is the big one for me. Uh, 9.9 yards per catch in college, which ranked in the bottom 11th percentile out of all the college tight ends. Um, That's not good. With his burst and agility, people always like to talk about good speed, good burst, good agility, still ranked 31st out of 36 qualified tight ends in yards after catch per reception. This guy is not elusive with the ball after the catch whatsoever. He's 27th in yards after reception on all tight ends. At his ADP, he got 80 targets last year. It's going to take 110 targets at least for this guy to live up to his current projections. People have him as a top five. They're projecting him being the third-ranked tight end going into the 2021 season. (laughs) That's what's going to happen to you if you take Mike Kentucky too early, just just so everybody knows. (laughs) You know, he has very little big play upside and yards after catchability. That's just how I feel, and the numbers suggested. He's ranking – like, he's ranking 37 out of tight ends, and there's 32 teams. I mean – Yes, I good. This guy is not elusive with the ball in his hands, and I just don't think he's going to get the targets to produce. I mean, people are taking him as the number five tight end off the board sometimes. I've seen it. It's just – it's real crazy to me. I mean, the speed score is great, but, like, I'll say it again. I mean, I can go out in shorts and a shirt and run quick, but you put me on a football field as an NFL tight end, I'm not going to do much. And then you're trying to say that Ryan Fitzpatrick and Tua should take the reins – Um whether that be week two, it's totally possible. But they're going to try to produce a top five tight end, two top 24 wide receivers uh, with Howard and Breda, two top 30 running backs. I mean, this offense isn't going to be that good. Maybe looking forward, but just not in 2020 for me. I mean, I wish Ryan was here to give his take on this, but I'll let uh, one of you guys maybe back me up or shut me down. That's fine with me. I guess one thing I like about Gusecki is the targets. I mean, if you're going to take a tight end late, you know, you want him at least to have the opportunity. That's one thing about Gusecki that I do like. A lot of the stats you said there, Houston, whoa, really kind of eye-opening and make you temper your expectations back sure. But, you know, if I'm looking at a guy, O.J., Howard, Gusecki, those later tight ends, uh, I know the work's going to be there for Gusecki, and I think things work out a little bit better once Tua gets under center. They lean on rookie tight, uh, rookie quarterbacks, leaning on their tight end. Seems to make a little bit of sense, but – uh, tight end five, uh, not me, no way. Billy, for you real quick, though, guys going in that range, who would you rather have, Ian Thomas or Mike Isecki? Mike Isecki. Who would you rather have, TJ Hawkinson or Mike Isecki? That's uh, a loaded question, can't ask him that. That's an easy one. 
Not, not <laughs> who just would have Blake, who would I, have I, Blake Jarwin or Mike Kosecki? Kosecki. Okay, so all those guys are very much projected to get more targets than Mike Kosecki this year because of the expected output from Chan Gailey. So I'm just doing that to make the point of with the targets that you're looking for at tight ends in that range, those are guys who expect to get those tight ends now, or expect to get those targets. Whether or not you like them more can be debatable, I think, but I think those guys are all uh, pretty much an even keel as far as expected volume goes and really the roles in their offense as well. So one thing that I'll add just to, I guess, for Ryan's sake, and you guys tell me because this is from Ryan to me, so I'm kind of looking to you guys to help me out on this one because I took Gusecki really, really late in the belly up bowl because I missed out on Gronk. I missed out on Waller, the two guys that I really like. So I was like, you know what? I'll listen to Ryan, and I'll take him in, like, the 16th round. But with the two receivers, was it Wilson and Hearns opting out this season? Gusecki played in the slot, correct, last season, a few, uh, I guess a, a predominant amount of time. Do you see him getting more volume in the slot this season? I know Chan Gailey's not very good, Dan, and I know you know a lot about that. So is there any truth behind that, that maybe his volume could see an uptick because of those two receivers going down? No, it affects him okay. none, none Wyota. Look, Chester Rogers, I think, is a better slot receiver than Albert Wilson. They just brought him in. I don't think that the target share with those guys being gone as, as it affects everybody else around him doesn't, doesn't change uh, okay. at all, just because there wasn't much of an impact on the field to begin with. Well, you know what? Let's move on for because now I'm sad that I took Gasecki instead of Ian Thomas, Tom, and I will have to uh, eat my words at the end of the season when Ian Thomas does uh, outscore Mike Gasecki. But um, talking about you and that awesome sign you have back there, we're talking about selling this undrafted free agent who came to the Dallas Cowboys that they thought was really good. I mean, he's 6'5", 260, Undrafted, like I said, he has an unofficial 4-7, I believe. Um, ranked 28th in tight ends last season with 41 targets and three touchdowns. He's a big body, but there's a lot of mouths to feed over there in Dallas, man. So there's a lot of hype on Blake Jarwin being this late-round guy that could be the new Darren Waller, but maybe maybe we're on the same boat right here, and I just don't think that he gets the volume because there's too many, too many mouths to feed there. But enlighten me, Tom. Yeah, I mean – Personally, I don't see a whole lot of positive for Blake Jarwin. Um, I mean, like we said, you look at the you know first two years uh, of real production for him, 2018-2019, uh, only played – or excuse me, only started four games 2018, but 307 receiving yards uh, and three touchdowns. Last year he bumped up to seven starts, so an uh, excuse me, an additional three starts on the year, only got an extra 60 yards and the same number of touchdowns. So it's not very impressive uh, to see. Like there, there's no real increase there in, in playing time to stats. So I don't personally see him with three big-name receivers who really we've talked about. We're not sure uh, exactly who's going to get all the touches. I mean, it's we think that they're going to be a high-powered offense, but I don't see him being part of it. I mean, you look at Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, C.D. Lamb, uh, along with Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard in the backfield there's not enough touches to go around for Blake Jarwin to really have a great opportunity to really bust out this year. Um, I mean, I'm seeing him ranked at about 18 going into the season. Some places, I think that's way high. I think he's his ceiling to me is maybe 20. He's a maybe 20th overall tight end. <laughs> don't skip. 
Um, I mean, I know Marco's going to sit here and talk about, oh, well, the Cowboys are the best team in the world. They're going to go 8-8 eight eight again, even without that. Um, the Red Clapper. Yeah, the Red Clapper's gone. You brought in the Red Rocket instead, who probably should just have started. You probably shouldn't have even bothered paying Dak on a franchise tag. I mean, regardless, sell Jarwin. It's right there. He's not worth the, He's not worth the pick. There's so many other tight ends to take. Pretty much anybody that we just talked about, uh, I would take over Jarwin. That's fair. Dan, do you have anything to add about uh, selling Blake Jarwin? I thought I was low on Blake Jarwin, but Tom took it to a whole new level. <laughs> I, I thought I didn't like the guy. Whew. For the I, record, that's, I'm trying to keep bias out of it. That's genuine. I, I just don't see the touches there. With the with flying guy, real unbiased, Tom. <laughs> so, I mean, I have him at tight end 15. I'm, look, once you get past, like, tight end 13, which I have it being Johnny Smith, but once you get past that point, you're talking about guys who are borderline whether or not they're going to get drafted in 16-round normal leagues anyway. Um, so you're talking about sleeper guys that maybe they will – get enough volume or get enough touchdowns, whatever the case may be, well, they might be serviceable for week to week if you're going to be streaming tight ends. Because that's the range that we're talking about when we're talking about Blake Jarrow, when we're talking about Mike Isecki, you talk about Ian Thomas that I, I mentioned earlier, uh, those type of guys. Yeah, I only have him for like about 80 targets, 60 receptions, 600 yards, about five touchdowns. But by default, he's going to get a tight end production of that team. So like Basically, even with the three receiver sets, there's still an allotment of production that's going to go to the tight end position. He's going to get about 90% of that. So there's a floor that comes there where he's going to be better than the CJ Uzma's up in you know the Cincinnati. He's going to be better than Jack Doyle. He's going to be better than Eric Ebron. Those are the guys you're talking about in those low 20 areas. So he's going to be better than those guys. Um, so that's, I, was just, I was just shocked because I thought I hate playing Jarwin, but I got nothing on Tom when it comes to that. Houston, what you got, brother? Yeah, and I was kind of hoping you'd give me Blake Jarwin because I'm actually a lot higher on him than these two are. Um, I can't I'll try to keep this quick. If you take uh, Jason Witten and Blake Jarwin's half-point PPR points last year and put them together, you're getting the fantasy tight end three. Obviously, that's not how you should play fantasy football whatsoever because I could take Julio, Calvin Ridley, and Russell Gage. Ooh, you got the wide receiver one. Obviously, no, but... To say that Dak doesn't have the passing volume, he had 596 pass attempts, 4,900 yards. Are we going to see, you know, another 50 pass attempts, another 500 yards? You know, that that doesn't add up. But, um, you know, I think it's going to take a little while to get CeeDee Lamb involved. Obviously, they lose Randall Cobb, who's still at 880 receiving yards. So does Lamb kind of fin that role? But we saw Jason Wynn that could barely run – catch touchdowns in this offense for Dak Prescott. I think Jarwin, he's not going to be the, um, uh, re, uh, how should I say this, receiving yards type of guy. But in the red zone, I think he could have a good role and maybe score seven, eight touchdowns. Does that help you week to week? Probably not. But I still think he's a better NFL player for this offense than he's going to be a fantasy player. And I think he has a good role on this team. Yeah, the only thing I'll add to that, Houston, real quick, is that there was already a connection between Prescott and Jason Witten. So even though, yeah, Witten athletically is nowhere near where Blake, Blake Jarwin is right now, the problem is, is that he was already comfortable with throwing the ball to Jason Witten. That chemistry is not going to already be there with Blake Jarwin. But I do agree with you with the, with the sentiment of he's still a streaming viable tight end. And the last bit there you talked about in the red zone, no doubt he's going to be a target there. 
but this is a team that utilizes Ezekiel Elliott in the red zone. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. He's going to be the guy that gets the touches there. I mean, he'll probably get touchdowns. It'll probably be that five to six range. I think Dan's pretty pretty spot on with those targets. I just can't can't back drafting him, especially and even streaming wise. I mean, it's week to week. You might have some weeks where he's viable, but it's probably eighty percent of the weeks this season. I can't. I'm going to find somebody else on the waiver wire that's a better pickup. Billy, I saw you had something to add to that. Yeah, two things about Blake Jarwin to me. How much of that production were the Cowboys in two tight end sets and, and Zeke was kind of the cloak of what they were trying to do there and you got the backside tight end that, that the coverage broke down and he made a catch. The second thing I want to add, and I brought it up before, Mike McCarthy tight ends. How many of us have drafted the Packer tight end year after year after year after year just to drop them on the waiver wire by week four because they don't do anything? So for me, I'm out on the tight end position for the Cowboys. Mike McCarthy is the problem for me. Uh, and I like C.D. Lamb in that in that role working underneath. Over Cobb, uh, C.D. Lamb is a much better talent than Randall Cobb. I, I see him taking all of what Cobb's production was and then some. And I just see Jarwin is, after Zeke, probably the fifth option in this offense that I don't expect to throw the ball as much as we are accustomed to. That's fair. Billy, you're kind of on a roll right now. We're going to skip over Nate and come and let Nate finish and close out the show. Billy, let's talk about your guy out of the University of Iowa, man. The uh, the John Mackey Award winner in 2019 with an asterisk on it. He was selected in the eighth the eighth pick in the draft by the Detroit Lions. T.J. Hawkinson, uh, a guy who is a big play waiting to happen. You've seen him personally. You've seen him dominate a field. So, is this the year with Matt Stafford? Hopefully, he stays healthy. Is Stafford Hawkinson going to be a thing this year? Hawkinson coming in, you know, getting drafted top 10. People were probably more high on him than they should have been. Rookie tight end woes. Hello. We're all screaming it every year. Uh, Noah Fant, the same thing. High pick, tons of talent, both coming out of Iowa. Guess what? Not a ton of production as a rookie. However, what a week one, right? And I think that kind of saw what he could be. Battled injuries, shoulders, ankles, concussion. Only played 12 games. Only played eight games with Matthew Stafford. So how much did they really get going? How much was he limited? We're not sure. Hawkinson's a guy. He's always played through injuries. You don't know how healthy he is or isn't. He's a gamer. When Sunday rolls around, he's putting the pads on. He's ready to go. I do see him taking a big step forward with Stafford. But we need everyone to be healthy, the continuity to be there, so that the development can happen. Also, the offense. I'm not sure the offense is is quite as simple as what they ran at Iowa. You know, hand it off 45 times and we'll throw 12. You know, a lot of times. So – I just feel like he's in the right spot. He's in the right system. It's development. He was a rookie last year. Only 32 catches. Uh, you know, didn't get a lot of targets, but 12 games. I see a lot of that, a lot of those numbers going up. However, I don't know if he's a thousand yard, eight touchdown guy. He might be more 750, 800 yards and six touchdowns, but I feel like he'll be pretty efficient. Dan, the man with the projections, what do you have on TJ Hawkinsauce? Well, like I said, I got him that one that one slot ahead of Mike Isicki. I got him tight end 17. Got him for about 104 half point uh, PP, uh, fantasy points, basically. Um, my key with him is that he is that one tight end in that range that I'm looking at who I think can make that jump when I'm looking at that Jarwin, Thomas, Hawkinson, Gasicki tier. Because when I just look at him and I see if you just catch – half those drops in the red zone, you're looking at borderline double-digit touchdowns. And then from right there, bam, you shoot up to the top 12 tight end if you actually catch those. So 
when I'm looking at that, that's the guy I'm seeing as that sleeper who I want to take late, who I think has a legitimate shot to really finish in the top 10. He's not going to get as much volume as the Jarwins, as the Thomases, the Mike Kosickis, I don't think, at the end of the day. But he's going to be much better in the red zone for sure. Um, and this should be a pass-first offense. It should be going to the wide receivers. He should be a red zone target again. I don't see why he wouldn't be. He's an all-around tight end who can block. And those guys get open in the red zone more naturally because they can get open off of the block. Um, so I do like TJ Hawkinson quite a bit, even though I don't have him ranked necessarily that high, but he would be my one sleeper tight end if you're talking that late, late range round. Uh, as far as our comment there about Janu, Janu's my tight end 13. I do have Janu higher, don't worry. Thanks, Josh, for catching that and asking Dan about all that. Do you all ever think about this, though? Houston, I think you mentioned this. When do you think two is going to start? I'm thinking... By week four, probably. Uh, it's probably it's too early in my opinion, but you get a little antsy down in Miami, especially when you got probably the fan. They're lucky there's no fans in the stands because if there was, it'd probably be week two. Um, <laughs> but there's nothing wrong with letting Tua sit a little bit, uh, let him learn. I mean, Fitzpatrick's serviceable. He's not great by any means, but to think Tua's not going to play it all in 2020 is a mistake. So, no, I'm thinking week four probably the earliest. If not, you're going to see him by week eight when they're two and six, and they're like, well, let's give this guy a shot. So so that was a segue into the longest con segue of talking about Tua starting, because think about it, guys. We got Tua. You got Matt Stafford. And then you got Dak Prescott, three SEC quarterbacks, baby. Throwing at one team, Chris. One team. <laughs> let's just keep up. Not a whole conference. One team. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about an old Miss guy from the SEC, Nate's guy, a guy that needs to stay healthy. And if he can stay healthy this year, guys, I think he's going to be in the top eight, maybe even the top five for sure. I'm talking about Evan Ingram, a guy who can't stay on the field, Nate, but is a beast. 4-4-2 speed at 6-3, 23rd overall pick in 2017. If this guy can stay healthy, Nate, and I know you need him to stay healthy, he's going to have a breakout year. Right, I mean, hundred percent. It's so frustrating. You're in this. This is the year. Fourteen games, fifth. Like no, then no, then no. It just very frustrating. But I'm sticking with it. This is the year. I'm, this is the one. Um, Ingram stays healthy. You know, his speed and size are just. You know, it's you know you can't teach that kind of stuff. You know, six three and a four four two. I mean, any linebacker is just going to be a huge mismatch for him, which just already makes him you know fantasy you know dangerous, dangerous guy in uh, fantasy world and in the real NFL world. Um, Jones loved to throw to, to Engram last year. We see his targets, um, uh, eight targets, seven, 11, five, seven, eight. So Jones does like throw to Engram. Um, again, injuries is the, the huge concern with Engram. Um, like you said, Chris, I think if he plays 14 plus games, he's a top five tight end at the end of the year. And like Dan said earlier, if Engram's on the field, I think Jones has a better chance to take that next, next step forward. So for me, Engram's a big X factor here, both fantasy and, uh, and uh, NFL wise, so hoping, fingers crossed, this is the year, people. <laughs> Tom, being that division rival, what do you think about Evan Ingram? So he reminds me a bit of another guy from that division. Uh, well, previously, Jordan Reed. <laughs> so it's a guy who, like, ability wise, like it, Evan Ingram's far more capable than uh, Jordan Reed was, but a very good tight end that cannot stay on the field. Different problems, but. Injuries nonetheless. 
And it's you always wanted to take him. I mean, I don't know about you guys. I always wanted to take Jordan Reed for years uh, because his production, if when he was on the field, was fantastic. But he could only play eight to ten games a season. Maybe it was rough. Um, I mean, I, I think that's kind of where we're at with Ingram. It's he's a guy that you look at the way he can play. You want to take him. But you you're reserved based on the fact of how many games is he really going to be out there and how you know viable is that? Am I going to be streaming tight ends for half my season after spending a top tight end pick on him? Stuck with Blake Jarwin down the stretch. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, Dan, I know that Joshua and I have been talking. Uh, it sounds like I mean he he's been playing fantasy football for a while and he knows his stuff. Uh, it sounds like he's taking a little bit of your advice, though. Um, if you're going to take that risk on Ingram and take Janu as a value, I guess, as your second tight end, th- that would be a, a good plan, right? Oh, yeah, I mean, abs- absolutely. I mean, typically speaking, I try not to draft two tight ends. But, yeah, if I draft Ingram, I am going to probably want to take a second one if I want to be strong at that position. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, lo- I love Janu Smith quite a bit as, as a high-end tight end, too. I love Evan Ingram. He's my tight end seven, and that's with him only playing 12 games. Now, just imagine if he actually got to play 16. He might catapult into my top four territory. That's what we're talking about with a guy like Evan Ingram, what he could do with a full season. Um, Nate, don't worry. My wife's in the background rooting for uh, Evan Ingram because she's also a Giants fan as well. Oh, yes. Mrs. Mater. But, uh, yeah, so with Evan Ingram, there's, I mean, there's no limit to his ceiling. Daniel Jones targeted him like crazy when he was on the field. Now, part of that is because no Sterling Shepard, no Golden Tate while he was on the field at the same time. We got to see what happens when all these guys are actually on the field playing together, where the targets are going to go. But Evan Ingram is the biggest mismatch besides Saquon Barkley that the Giants have flat out. And that is what should give him the production while at least he's on the field. Here's my thing with Evan Ingram with uh, Tom mentioning Jordan Reed. With Jordan Reed, obviously different issues with the concussion issues. With Evan Ingram, it's a lot of lower leg stuff where if you can take the right preparations heading into uh, a season, like Dalvin Cook did, you can take time with those soft tissue injuries, really stretch them out, do some yoga. There's some there's other preventative measures that you can take. You can actually overcome that for at least a year, maybe two. So I have a little bit more hope that Evan Ingram will be able to give us a couple fully healthy seasons more so than Jordan Reed was ever able to, because with the concussion issues, there's nothing you can really do to prevent that. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's fair. You're definitely right on that. Evan Ingram, it's, it's much more comfortable if you, if you have the information that he's taking those steps. Right. I don't know that I've heard him really doing anything, you know, outside of just you know, traditional he was doing traditional rehab, rehab. i hadn't heard yeah. either as far as i'm doing any kind of anything special like what dalvin cook did last season we heard a lot exactly. about that and stuff like that so yeah you're totally right there but i'm just saying it can happen yeah, definitely man guys that was great analysis tonight. i really you, you really opened my eyes on a lot of different things um and you're helping me become a better fantasy football player so i really appreciate stealing a little bit from all of you guys um Thank you for everyone who watched us live and who's going to watch us on the replay. Houston, kick us off. Let everyone know where they can follow you at, um, what you're working on, what you're currently working on, what your future endeavors are, and, um, yeah, where they can follow you. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, of course, just follow me on Twitter, Belly of Houston. Be on the look for my new podcast with a couple of good – one of my good high school friends and one of his 
Uh, we're have a female voice on it too, Brock Aker and Marissa Voss. Uh, we're going to call it Gridiron Focus, uh, football-centric podcast, a little bit of fantasy, a little bit of sports betting added. Be on the lookup for them in the next coming weeks. Nate? Yeah, on Twitter, at NateHerman27. Um, like Chris said earlier, Billy and I are working on a new show here. Very excited to get that off and running in the next few weeks, so stay tuned for more news and info on that. And, uh, yeah. Fair enough. This is going to be a really good one to watch, guys. going to help you all um, with your waiver wires for sure. Tom, kick us off, man. Hey, I mean, as always, uh, on Twitter, at BellyUpTom. I mean, I I know, you know, Marco's giving me the heat on Facebook. Give me the heat on Twitter. Let's go, guys. I'm all about it. Uh, and then always, at BellyUpFootball, uh, we are releasing our uh, Belly Up NFL Top 100. Like I said last week, we all know that the NFL list was hot garbage. Uh, so we are up to number 31 on our list as of today. Uh, so got 30 more. A couple surprises on the list. A couple people that uh, even I didn't anticipate seeing on there. So uh, you know, keep an eye out for the, the top guys on that one. Yeah, I mean, Tom, Marco texts me daily about – he's like – Chris, I can't lose to Tom. If Tom gets second, I have to get first. If Tom gets ninth, I have to get eighth. I cannot <laughs> lose to Tom. Help me. And I'm like, man, I'm not getting in between you guys. You do your own thing. I can't wait. <laughs> Billy, I can't wait. <laughs> Billy, uh, I know we're having some, some – my division's already finished in the St. Jude Belly at Bowl. We have some kicking off. Dan's is about to start. Um, make sure you touch on that and let everyone know where they can follow you and all your upcoming works. Uh, I'm on Twitter at BWIT24. Um, check me out there. Let's talk football, guys. Um, Billy at Bull, my division's finished drafting. Uh, not liking my team, but we have a really fun division. Uh, had some of Ryan's family in there. Had a huge draft board set up, so that was kind of interesting to see how serious my division's taking it. So the champ's in there. Everybody said it from the start, so we'll see who comes out. Um, Facebook and Twitter, keep an eye out for us. We're going to be doing some things to kind of interact with the listeners, the fans, and the followers. So uh, I think we've got some bold prediction action coming this weekend to see who, who's got the uh, bold prediction that everybody agrees with the most and uh, maybe some roundtable talk of football, just uh, general sports talk coming this weekend too. So keep an eye out for us. We've got a lot of good stuff coming. Everybody here is working on something special. Can't get, can't uh, wait to get started with Nate. Wizards of the Waiver Wire be your Wednesday night viewing pleasure. So uh, check us out. We hope we have some stuff down for you. And we'll be ready Wednesday night before week one kickoff. We'll be talking a lot of Texans and Chiefs. So uh, yeah, one kickoff. So, uh, hey, check us out. Belly up. A lot of big things coming for sure. Dan, I'm sorry. I, I, I have to take the Texans as well. Um, so well that's one off. team. That's okay. I'm okay with one team. Just don't claim the whole AFC South. That's all okay. <laughs> AFC South, baby. We just need it. What's the spread? What's the spread? Houston, what's the spread? <laughs> I'm having to talk to Houston about the spread and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, Dad, I mean, dude, he doesn't 10. sleep at all. He's the head of our fantasy department. He makes sure everything is up and running like a well-oiled machine or some sort of Roomba, something like that. But this dude is always working. Dan, where where can people follow you? Well, you can follow me on Twitter and on Facebook at BellyUpMDFFShow. We are up to two podcasts a week starting this week. So we got the mock draft coming out on Thursday. We got the... Uh, best five, bus five, sleeper five running backs coming out on Friday. Also, nice little tidbit. My rankings will be updated along with projections and tiers on the Belly Up Fantasy Sports.com website tomorrow morning. So that will be all updated 
with all the transactions that have happened and everything like that. So I'll be all good to go for you guys uh, moving forward. So I'm going to get that done tonight. And uh, yeah, and uh, I do want to give a quick shout out to Nate and Billy, though. I'm really looking forward to your guys' show for the uh, with the waiver wire. I'm really curious to see how that's going to be. And I'm really looking forward to uh, Chris and Houston's show coming up with the uh, the DFS twist. I think we need a little bit more of that, too. So we have a lot of shows coming up in the fantasy uh, sports department really soon. And uh, we're going to be like five days a week. There's going to be multiple shows on a couple of days. And uh, there's a lot of exciting things going on. So make sure you guys keep tuning in to us. Man, have y'all ever seen, Nate, I know, again, it's an older movie, so you might not have seen it. It's called Interview with the Vampire, Tom Cruise, Brad Pitt in it. Dan's like one of these, he's like a vampire. Dude does not sleep. I mean, I'm going to finish these rankings tonight, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but thank everyone who's watching this. Joshua, man, I really appreciate those kind words. I know Dan likes them too. Um, I want to thank everyone who has talked to me privately on Twitter, we've got some people signing up for Belly Up right now that we've been talking to uh, to join the crew. It's going to be really awesome. We're going to try to build on what we're doing right now. Like Dan mentioned, we have a lot of new shows coming out. Um, I wanted to do something a little bit different outside of the fantasy football world. This Friday, y'all will see myself hosting with Nate and Billy, kind of a little bit of roundtable with some of the names around in the fantasy football community, like Dave Wright, um, the guys from Fantasy Coaches, uh, Josh, our own Josh Lozano from the BNB podcast is going to sit down with us. And we're just going to kind of kick it, you know, uh, kind of like a little barbershop thing, just kind of a little chill vibe and just kind of talk football in general um, with everything that's going on right now in the fantasy football community. We want to make sure that everyone's watching and knows that we are real people. And, you know, we, we're not just um, one set of geeky people. Uh, we know how to have a little bit of fun and we do know how to respect people as well. So, Catch us on Friday for that. It's going to be pretty cool. Um, we'll try to do that maybe once a month type thing. It's just going to take a lot of effort and a lot of people to join with us. So look for that. It's going to be pretty cool. Y'all can follow me on Twitter at Aggie Kappa Sig. Um, and then follow us at Belly Up Sports, guys. Belly Up Fantasy. We're here to provide y'all with the good information to help you win your league and have a good time doing it. So, again, guys, I'm Chris Pinto. Uh, it's the Belly Up Fantasy crew. This is Belly Up Fantasy Live. See y'all next week. Thank you for listening to Belly Up Fantasy Live. Betfred has come all the way from England to the great state of Iowa with over 50 years of sports betting experience. Fred is known in the UK for three things, customer service, bonuses, and delivering the best overall experience to players. Need more? Download the Betfred Sports app today and receive up to $250 in free bets when signing up. No emperors, no movie stars, just a sports book you can trust. Download today. Proud partner of the Iowa Wild and Iowa Cubs. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF. Betfred has come all the way from England to the great state of Iowa with over 50 years of sports betting experience. Fred is known in the UK for three things, customer service, bonuses, and delivering the best overall experience to players. Need more? Download the Betfred Sports app today and receive up to $250 in free bets when signing up. No emperors, no movie stars, just a sports book you can trust. Download today. Proud partner of the Iowa Wild and Iowa Cubs. Must be 21 plus. Wagers only accepted in Iowa. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-BETS-OFF.